I think many of us have had a period of our life uh, when we've been Christians, but we've not been particularly committed Christians. That is to say, a time when we believed in Jesus, we believed in the Christian message, uh, we've known that Jesus required something of us, but for whatever reason, that's where it stopped. We might have been willing to dip our toe in the water, but we weren't willing to jump in, to take the plunge. But you know, if we want to experience all that God has for us, if we want to see God working powerfully in our lives, if we want to see change and transformation in ourselves, in our families, in our church, in our community, then at some point, we've got to cross over the line and say, I'm all in. And today, we've read about the point where Israel as a nation crossed over that line and said, we're all in. The River Jordan represented that line for Israel. A line that separated fear, apprehension, excuses, and apathy from faithful obedience and wholehearted commitment to God's plan. Two weeks ago, I summarized how Israel got to this point of crossing over the Jordan River to take possession of the land that God had promised to give them, the promised land. And I'm going to briefly reiterate that now because it's so important that we understand how these accounts fit into the overall story of the the Bible, the grand narrative of the Bible, if you like. So uh, God chose Abraham and he promised to bless all nations through him. Abraham had a son called Isaac. Isaac had a son called Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, the second youngest of whom was Joseph. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and that caused all his older brothers to be really jealous. In fact, they hated Joseph uh, so much so that they sold him into slavery. And Joseph was carted off to Egypt. But God was with Joseph, and through God's providence and an amazing sequence of events, uh, Joseph became the second most powerful person in Egypt, second only to the ruler, Pharaoh. Now, after many years, Joseph's family experienced a great famine in the land, and his ten elder brothers arrived in Egypt in search of food. Uh, To cut a long story short, Joseph was reunited with his brothers. There was forgiveness and reconciliation. And Joseph's whole family came to live with him in Egypt, where they flourished and they became this great body of people, a nation, Israel. However, when Pharaoh died, he was replaced with another Pharaoh who had no regard for Joseph or his family, no regard for the Israelites, and he enslaved them. They were terribly treated, and this went on for about 400 years, until in the end, Egypt was ruled by an absolute despot of a pharaoh who subjected Israel to the cruelest treatment imaginable. And God heard the cry of his people, and he sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt, thus liberating them from long-term oppression and tyranny. And this story of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt is known as the Exodus. It includes the ten plagues of Egypt, the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Then after all of that, Israel arrive at the border of the promised land. They arrive at the river Jordan. 
Moses sends out 12 spies to check out the land, and they return with a pessimistic report. The Canaanites are big and scary, they say. Uh, We felt like grasshoppers next to them. And they live in these huge fortified cities. They're technologically more advanced. We can't defeat them. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed that God would grant Israel the victory. But Joshua and Caleb get drowned out by the others, and the people of Israel shrink back in fear. Consequently, they don't cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they end up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. The book of Joshua begins with the death of Moses. This leaves Joshua, the same Joshua, who's one of those two spies who said, yes, we can do it. This leaves Joshua and Caleb as the only survivors of the Exodus generation. Everyone else has died out and been replaced with a whole new generation. And God calls Joshua to be the new leader of Israel. So here they are again at the River Jordan, this time under Joshua's command, poised to make a push into the promised land. And what is clear from the outset is that Joshua is kind of like the new Moses. Let's look at the similarities. He's the leader of Israel. He's chosen by God. He faces an adversary. For Moses, it was the uh, Egyptians. For Joshua, it's the Canaanites. Um, Joshua, just as Moses did, told the people to obey God's commands, the law that was given at Mount Sinai. And God demonstrates his power by allowing Israel to cross over a body of water on dry ground. Uh, God parted the Red Sea on Moses' watch, and he stopped the River Jordan on Joshua's. The baton has clearly passed from Joshua to Moses just as it passed from Jesus to the church. And we looked at that the other week when we were delving in to the book of Acts. And then Joshua sent out spies, just as Moses had sent out spies. But things go much better under Joshua's leadership. Why? Israel had the same God, all-powerful, all-knowing, unique, eternal. Uh, They have a different leader, but there's nothing to suggest that Joshua is a better leader than Moses. So what's changed? Well, quite simply, the attitude of the people had changed. They replaced fear with faith, and they replaced disobedience with obedience. It gives us an amazing insight into the way that God works with his people, into the way that God works with the church. He doesn't hurry us along at his pace. He doesn't force us to go where we refuse to go. He waits until we are willing to fall in line with his good, pleasing, and perfect plan. That's how it was for Israel. That's how it is for the church. That's how it is for this church. And it would be tempting to say that's how it is for us as individuals, except for the fact that we're not individuals. When a person gives their life to Jesus, they will never be an individual again because they belong to the body of Christ the church, that is every Christian who has ever lived, makes up one integral body, Jesus' body. One of my fingers can't decide to remove itself from my body and go it alone. And we as Christians can't uh, remove ourselves from the body of Christ 
and go it alone. If we don't belong to the body, we don't belong to Christ. We're in this together or we're not in this at all. And when Israel crossed the Jordan, they crossed as one body. All 12 tribes crossed over together. But there were two and a half tribes that, that didn't really want to possess the land on the other side of the Jordan. The tribes of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, uh, they rather liked the land to the east of the Jordan where they already were. And they laid claim to that land and the other tribes were okay with that. Uh, so in theory, those two and a half tribes didn't need to cross the Jordan because they were already in the land where they wanted to settle. But Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over the Jordan with the other nine and a half tribes to take possession of the land. Remember, there was still the small matter of the Canaanites who already lived in the land. But the Canaanites had forfeited uh, their right to remain because of their evil practices idolatry, sexual immorality, and even child sacrifice. God basically called time on their waywardness, and he gave that land to his people, Israel. So when the people crossed the Jordan, they knew that they would be facing fierce opposition. That's why they needed every man they could get. Nevertheless, they were obedient to God's call, and they were obedient as one unified body. This was the exact opposite of what happened when they were at this point 40 years earlier. The two situations were virtually the same. On both occasions, Israel were poised to cross over the Jordan River and take possession of the land. All that changed was the nation's resolve to carry out what God had told them to do. You know, often in life, you get two people who have more or less the same opportunities. A good example would be siblings. Let's say you have two brothers or two sisters. They grow up with the same parents in the same house. They share the same nationality, language, and culture. They go to the same school, and they receive the same education. Uh, let's say they both enjoy good health, and they're very similar in terms of their gifts and abilities. So all in all, they've been dealt uh, pretty much the same hand in life. And yet so often their lives go in completely different directions. Uh, one will be very successful and the other one perhaps isn't. And we see this on a national scale with Israel. The generation that was freed from slavery in Egypt had the opportunity to enter the promised land. That opportunity was right there in front of them and they blew it. They lacked faith, they got scared they grumbled against God, and they refused to cross over the Jordan River. And the net result was that they spent the rest of their lives wandering aimlessly in the desert. The next generation were presented with exactly the same opportunity, but they didn't blow it. They trusted God, they rallied together, and they stepped out in faith. But you see how this is directly applicable to the church. It's directly applicable to this church, St. Andrew's, whose God is calling us to cross over that line and say, we're all in. Not as individuals, one at a time, as and when we feel like it, but as a body. God is calling us as a body, a body that includes every single one of us. The concept of a river uh, provides us with a good analogy. You can't have a situation where one part of a body crosses a river, but not the rest of the body. 
You can't have 50% of a body cross a river and not the other 50%. Well, you can, but it means dismembering the body and then it doesn't function as a body. In the overall scheme of things, we're a very new church. And it feels to me like we are assembling on the east bank of the Jordan. We have this great opportunity in front of us. Uh, We live in one of the fastest growing communities in Queensland, even in Australia. A community that desperately needs to know the love of Christ. Yes, people are very comfortable here, but material wealth is no substitute for the fullness of life, the eternal life that Jesus offers us. Israel were crossing the River Jordan to fight, effectively, a military campaign. We have a campaign to fight, a campaign to win as many souls for Jesus as possible, a campaign to take the love of Christ out into the community. And make no mistake, we will face opposition as individuals and as a church. But this is not the time to be fearful and faithless. It's not the time to make excuses or throw in the towel. We've got two choices. We can back down and spend years wandering around in the wilderness, or we can rally together and step out in faith. If we want to realize our kingdom-building potential as a church, if we want to lay hold of all that God has in store for us, then we need the collective buy-in of the whole church. But we can be so short-sighted. We can be on the cusp of something incredible and completely fail to see it. Last week we heard how uh, um, the spies that Joshua sent into the city of Jericho, they had a conversation with a a resident of that city, a, a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And she said this, She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. But that whole Red Sea thing happened 40 years before this conversation took place. The Canaanites were melting in fear just waiting to be conquered. And what were God's people doing? They were wandering in the desert, grumbling against God. So often we say, why isn't God doing something about X, Y, or Z? But it could be that God is ready to do something about X, Y, and Z, and he's just waiting for us. I was at a church Um, previously where we launched a new service and a reasonable number of people came to the opening service so perhaps not as many as we might have hoped for and uh, one lady in the congregation turned to me and said huh I thought we'd get more people I said did you invite anyone no God's got a plan for our church our lives our community but we've got to play our part I think very often God is ready to do something wonderful. But he's not going to rush on ahead without us. God was ready to give his people the promised land. But only if they crossed the River Jordan. First time they didn't, second time they did. But isn't it interesting that as soon as they stepped out in faith together, 
God revealed his power in a very dramatic way. From verse 15 we read, As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. The River Jordan wasn't a huge obstacle, and yes, we know that it was in flood, but Israel could have crossed that river without God's supernatural intervention. But by drying up the riverbed, God reminded the people how he'd parted the Red Sea. He affirmed Joshua's leadership. Moses was the uh, second, sorry, Joshua was the second Moses, as it were. And God gave his people the absolute assurance that he was with them, with them. But of course, this only happened when they stepped out to cross the River Jordan. The rest of the book of Joshua describes how Israel took possession of the land and divided it amongst themselves, just as God had promised they would. But as we've already heard, this only happened when they were unified as one body. It was a case of one in, all in. And that's what God wants for his people. When I was in the Royal Marines, we used to use that expression quite a lot, one in, all in. And the first time I really understood what it meant, we were on a speed march, we were in training, and a speed march is where you you have to cover quite a lot of ground as quick as you can in in fairly light order. So you're carrying maybe 35 pounds of equipment and a rifle, and you do this um, kind of walk, stroke, run for for a fair distance. And uh, we got towards the end, and we could just see the vehicles in the distance, um, you know, the trucks that would take us on to where we were going next. And the trainings team said that we had to run an individual best effort to the vehicles, and we had to get there within five minutes. So we all went herring off as fast as we could, and about two-thirds of us arrived at the vehicles within that five-minute time frame. And the other third sort of came in as and when they came in. And when the last person came in, Uh, the training team announced that those who got there within the five minutes could get on the trucks and they would be transported to the next location. And the third that didn't make the timing, uh, they were going to have to run the 10 kilometers to the next location. And we were all pretty exhausted by this stage, but as soon as the training team announced this, someone who was in the group who arrived first said, one in, all in. And of course, we knew what that meant. We all ran the extra 10 kilometers together as a troop. You know, there would have been something deeply unsatisfying about getting in those trucks and being driven away, leaving uh, that group of men, our friends, who are going to be asked to do so much more. And I imagine that's how it must have felt for the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. There was no question of letting the other tribes Go it alone. Individual Israelite clans could not behave as if the destiny of the other clans had absolutely no bearing on them. And you know, individual Christian congregations, denominations, and national churches cannot behave as if the destiny of the rest of the church or other parts of the church have nothing to do with them. The other day I saw a cartoon titled Today's Church. And it was a picture of a sinking rowing boat. And it was at that kind of angle. And the front end was in the water, filling up with water. And there were two guys at the front trying to bail out this water. And the end that was stuck up out of the water, 
uh, bone dry at that stage, there were another two men, and one was turned to the other saying, I'm sure glad the hole isn't at our end. Well, that's a character of the church, at an, a caricature rather, of the church at an international and denominational level. But our church here at St. Andrews, our congregation here, is a microcosm of the church, the body of Christ. And we need to understand that we're all in this together, or we're not in this at all. So what does it mean to be in this together? Well, in 21st century Australia, uh, this is a very dangerous word to use, and it's a word that can send people running for the door screaming, but I'm going to use it anyway. And the word is commitment. It means being committed to Jesus Christ and his church. Now, that doesn't mean that we all drive ourselves into the ground and burn ourselves out trying to build up the church. But it does mean, at the most basic level, that we take our faith really seriously. That we take our relationship with Jesus really seriously. Do we give that relationship the right priority in our lives? People have died for their faith in Christ. And not just a few, and it's still happening in other parts of the world. As Scott said the other week, we are not just a Jesus Appreciation Society. We're the Spirit-filled Church of Christ. And we have a mandate to advance Jesus' kingdom together. An opportunity stands before us. And what we make of it depends on whether or not we are prepared to step out in faith as one body, whether or not we're prepared to say we're all in this together, one in, all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you do call us to be your hands and feet in the world, to represent Jesus, to bring about change and transformation in our, in our families, in our community, in our society. And we pray, Father, that we will increasingly not see ourselves as a collection of atomized individuals. Pray, Heavenly Father, that we will see ourselves as a body, an integral body, that has a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in a myriad of different ways. And so we pray, Father, that increasingly we will pull together and draw together as a community and we will step out in faith together, expecting you to do incredible things in us and through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.